Hello and welcome to the Mason Jar on the Cersei Institute Podcast Network. I'm David Kern and I'm here as always on the Mason Jar with Cindy Rollins. Cindy, how's it going? Uh, it's going very well. So How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So so somebody on Facebook said that when I'm doing the Mason Jar, yeah. <laughs> I put on my NPR voice and when I do close reads, it's not my NPR voice. Uh, I have, I don't, I do not do this consciously except that I know that I try not to be as, um, uh, let things get as ruckus on uh, on the mason yeah, jars they do on close reads. Yeah, we don't have as much fun. I'm afraid. I'm afraid they have a lot more fun, but um, <laughs> that's okay. We're not here to have fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're here to have a different kind of fun. I have yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I was wondering if that means you're like uh, what your personality is. Like you're uh, you're Myers Briggs. I I was. Start- I started really thinking about that, thinking, now, what is David? I think I could probably figure him out in a few minutes. But, but then I got <laughs> stuck right away. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? And I, I, I really couldn't decide on that. So, I think I'm one of those people who, when, if you, if you just know me on a surface level or whatever, I'm... Which that sounds kind of weird, but like it, I'm, I'm an extrovert. Like I'm obviously an extrovert because I enjoy, right. I enjoy conversation and things like that. Um, and I, you know, I'm kind of energized by it, but I also, if I, if I'm around people too much, then I get, you know, a little bit grumpy, yeah. Yeah. which I guess it's probably true of everybody. So I don't even know. I, maybe I'm just the kind of person who just thinks those things are dumb. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, there's always that. <laughs> I have a feeling they're 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 dumb, but I, I think they're also kind of fun. Yeah, they're they're probably just a little limited. Yeah, definitely. There's definitely. there's listeners out there who swear by these things that are cursing us right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, um, we're here to answer listener questions, but before we do, I need to say a quick word from Roman Roads Media, our friends uh, over at Roman Roads, our publishers of Classical Christian Curriculum, which is designed for homeschoolers and homeschool co-ops, and they're back this year with a giveaway for podcast listeners. So they're going to be sponsoring this April and May, the the podcast network and every episode we do, they're going to be giving away one of their 16 units from their old Western culture series, which features Wes Callahan. Um, This high school video course guides you through the great books of Western civilization, complete with workbooks, discussion questions, and readers. Wes Callahan draws from decades of teaching experience as he tells the story of Western Civ, integrating history, literature, theology, politics, philosophy, and so much more. And of course, if you've ever heard Wes speak or teach, you know he's a pretty great storyteller. So here's how to enter the giveaway. When this episode is posted on the Cersei Facebook page, just leave a comment under it saying which unit of the old Western culture you would choose if you win. And to see what all their units are, just head over to romanroadsmedia.com and peruse their catalog. There's courses on uh, medieval lit, on the ancients, on um, church um, church history. Um, there's, there's 16 units and um, they're going to be giving away one for every episode we do. So what they'll do is they'll draw a name three days after the episode is posted. So um, when this goes up on Facebook, just make sure you make sure you choose the one comment underneath that post, and then you can be entered to win Um, 16 giveaways is a, you know, pretty good chances if you listen to all of our shows. Um, So uh, thanks to Roman. Wow. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks to Roman Rhodes for doing that, for sponsoring and for, for doing these giveaways. Um, They're making shows like this possible. And, um, they're they're a big help and of course you also who are listening are a big help if you would head over to itunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review either the starred review or the comment review those kind of things as i've said before they're really helpful with the algorithms um 
they're helpful generating um you know interest in the show um kind of moving it up the charts and you know so to speak which the ratings aren't everything but they do help us know where we stand and how many shows we can do and they help us with sponsors and the sponsors help us produce more content so um uh, we you know we try to give away as much stuff as we can for free but sometimes we need that uh that little bit of help from sponsors and underwriters so to speak so if you would leave a, a review in, in one form or another we would definitely appreciate that okay so so that's out of the way let's answer questions now you ready okay yeah sure i think <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of these questions have to do with narration and if you want to leave a question we, one of the new ways that we're doing that is if you head over to facebook and search mere motherhood for the mere motherhood group uh we have a pinned post at the top of that that group where people people can submit their questions oh, looks sorry. like the dog has a question yeah max somebody is at the door and that means max is going to pretend like he's here so max wants to uh, know who it is yeah max just says who is at the door which is really <laughs> weird because nobody should be here right now but see if somebody is at the door no max is just wondering why we're having this conversation okay max <laughs> Here, now you have to go out. He's going to go out now. <laughs> um. Am I making weird noises walking? <laughs> no, you're good. Okay. So, so, um, like I said, a lot of these questions are related to uh, dictation and narration and things like that. And this first question comes from Vanessa. Um, and she says that she would love to hear about study dictation and voice. She found yeah, your last interview very inspiring, but all stories she hears are about girls who are naturally excellent spellers flourishing at the method. So what do you do about 10-year-old boys who don't love writing and are spectacularly awful spellers? Can it still work? I'm guessing you ran into this problem with at least one of your boys not loving to writing and maybe even being a bad speller. Yeah, I mean, most a lot of the boys aren't going to love to write. It's just the way it is. And, and the, yeah, so I definitely ran into this problem. I run into it, you know, even now when, when I'm teaching. I, because of that, I didn't, um, I didn't do, a, whereas with narration, I did it every day. Uh, I would say with dictation, it, it, it would be something you could do uh, less frequently and you could do it, um, um, when you have someone who's not doing something well, you want to do less um, of it as far as at, at a time, less at a time, then you, then, then you, you don't want to stress the child out with too much work that they're doing badly. Uh, mm. You're just training them in bad habits, as Charlotte Mason would say. So, so with dictation, if you're not getting a good dictation, if they're doing poorly, I would make sure that what I give them to dictate is something they could dictate. And I would concentrate on making mm. sure that most of the words they could act already spell because it's not a time to learn spelling. It, it, okay. it, it, anything like that is a time for mom to see, oh, look, he can't, he, he spells which with, you know, W H uh, instead of, you know, W I T C H or, um, or, or if it's the other witch, you know, he gets those mixed up. That kind yeah, of thing, you, yeah. you know, you can, that's a great time for mom, you know, to pay attention to where, where the child is weak and work on that stuff separately. And, but the point of dictation is to do, do it well. Uh, so it has to be um, something um, that they can do. So you need to probably scale it back to 
to not dictating a whole lot to a 10 year old boy is not going to be happy with more than two sentences of dictation. <laughs> um, and, and it's, that's going to be difficult for him and challenging. So mm. um, if he's, if it's something he's working on all week and then at the end of the week, you're dictating it to him, just make sure that it's not something that he's going to do real sloppily because he's in a big hurry and he wants to get it done. And make sure that it's it's um, a little bit below his level, not above his level. Okay. So then, with things like this, do we need to re do we need to adjust the way we think about assessment? Then, like oh, not, absolutely. So we can't yes. use the traditional methods that we would typically assess most subjects, and that's an easy trap to fall into. Whether we're teaching ten year olds, seven year olds, or seventeen year olds. Oh, it really, really is. It's all about um, assessment for narration and dictation and copy work and all those things are going to be a little different um, depending on what your goal is. But, but you're going to have to understand if they're not doing what you want, it's not like, Oh, they didn't get that right. They got it wrong. They got an F or a D or C. Um, But, but I need to go back and teach them in in a way that they can learn uh, what I'm expecting out of them. If they're not doing what you're expecting, then they don't, then, then there's a reason and you need to kind of go back and find out, well, do they understand what I'm expecting? And if, and usually the way to do that, to, to find out where things are going wrong is to scale things back so that, so I'm going to dictate a sentence to this child and see where things start breaking down. Why is yeah. he failing at dictation? Um, if his spelling is atrocious, sometimes, um, you know, that's a problem that isn't going to be solved overnight. And sometimes you just right. have to ignore bad spelling because you don't want to pound that into the child constantly. Oh, you're, you know, um, you know, we've talked before about immediately, you know, maybe even just rewriting the word for the child um, so they don't see the bad spelling again. Um, but, but you, you're, you're right about assessment. It, it makes a big difference. A lot of times the mom is expecting, uh, the, the dictation or the narration to look beautiful or to have, maybe she's seen some very beautiful, uh, work from other people hmm. that most people are going to show you the really beautiful stuff. And there are people that have children that are just they were just born to do this work. So um, it, it looks gorgeous. Um, probably the vast majority of people don't show you their child's dictation, their copy work, their, their narrations, because it's a little bit embarrassing. They look hmm. they look um, very ordinary, not, not quite so stunning. Hmm. Um, well, then let's talk about this next question, actually. I think this that's a good transition because um, Becky adds, you know, underneath Vanessa's comment, she says, um, how do you encourage more detailed or better narrations from a child? And she says that she has an almost 11 year old boy who started off years ago doing very well at narration for his age, but he hasn't really made any progress in the last couple of years. And she goes on to say that he's a great summarizer, but that he almost never gives detail or tells the whole story. He's been doing these narrations for a couple of years, and they're all also the same. A summary with between three to five short sentences without any details or really any of the style of the story. And there was another you know, person who, who said that her uh, 10-year-old is the same. Um, now, is it possible that um, you know all three of these questions are related to 10-year-old boys, is this possible that it's just indicative of the age 
Um, and given that, is there a way to kind of encourage boys of that age to take the next step? Yeah, these these early years of written narration are really training years. They're not you're not going to see what you know what you're maybe you're hoping to see. You're certainly not going to see, and we've talked about this before, what you have have heard orally from the child. Okay. Um, the child is kind of. It's a terrible transition when he thinks, oh, I'm just orally narrating and I'm having this this great narration. And now my mom's asking me to write it down. Well, immediately my brain's going to shut down and I'm going to try to see how little I can get away with with the narration. Hmm. But, of course, if they know you're not expecting a full, you know, you're not re- totally replacing oral narrations with written narrations. And you understand that this is going to be a training over many, 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 many years. And, and the value of the narration is not going to be this narration today, but actually the cumulative nature of, of the on the mind of the constant, um, you know, learning, um, the constant writing and narrating, then hmm. um, then then you're going to have a better outlook on what the child's doing today. But you can't, when you do see a child like stuck in, in a rut, and he's always saying the same thing, obviously you need to set step in a little bit and, and you need to change something to give the child a chance. One of the things, you know, the first step with narration is uh, shorten up the readings. If the child's giving a poor narration, um, just have him, you could read aloud a very, very, very short section and just say, tell, um, could you write three sentences uh, from, from what I just read to you, uh, telling a little bit about it. And okay. then you could do, read a little bit more and say, now write three more sentences. Okay. Um, um, you could do it like that. The other thing that I really like doing, and this is when the kids get maybe 11, 12, 13, is to turn it around and, and have them think up questions. Have the okay. child um, write down. I love to just say, okay, your narration today, this is with these little bit you know, middle schoolers, is yeah. to come up with three questions that you could ask about the passage we just read. These, uh, And then from there, after they write their questions down, um, you know, and uh, of course, a boy, the first question a boy is going to ask you is, are we going to have to write the answers to these questions? Um, they're, they're going to, and if you say, no, we're going to talk about them. You're going to get a lot better questions. If you say, no, we're going to write them down. They're going to say, uh, what color was King Arthur's shirt? Blue. (laughs) But if you, if you really let them know that you're, you're asking sort of lost tools of writing type questions, issue type questions from Mm -hmm. the child. Mm -hmm. And if they've done the lost tools of writing, then they'll naturally have those kind of questions where, you know, the should question should, and you can even word it like that, you know, give me three should questions from this mm. passage. Uh, they will ask some fantastic questions and, and then you'll see how their mind is processing. And then you can just orally talk about the questions and, and they're not right or wrong answers to the questions. Right. They're, they're, they're more just like, well, well, you know, uh, kind of pre lost tools of writing, you could almost say where you're, you're bringing up some should things about the passage and the, and the child's writing those questions. And I really think when they're writing those questions, they're processing in the same way that Charlotte Mason, um, was thinking about when she was thinking hmm. about narration. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. And I think that, um, it, the, when you read really good books, there's so many really good questions available to them. Um, and, and when they're 10, 11, you know, they're, they're beginning to want to think for themselves much more 
you know, more and more. So if they're reading Robin Hood, for example, they're going to sort of, if you ask them to think of questions, they're going to begin thinking about things like, you know, should Robin Hood have stolen from the rich to give to the poor? If you're studying history, Mm -hmm. they're going to start thinking about, you know, should this general have made this decision or should this guy have joined this war or, you know, these, these questions are right there. I don't want to say that on the surface, but they're kind of on the surface, but at the same time, they're really deep questions and they're at that age where they want to think about it. They're hanging there and if we, they're just really hanging fruit for us to use um, because we kind of, we can kind of skip right over them without um, realizing they're there. And then when we get to them, they're like, wow, you know, um, why did, Mm -hmm. why did Athena favor Odysseus or, you know, just all these different um, questions. And there are even great questions, you know, in, in books that, you know, great children's books, whether it's Little House in the Prairie or whether it's The Hobbit or, you know, Andrew Green Gables or whatever. I mean, they, they still, the stories still turn on central questions about whether characters should have made the decisions that they made. Um, yeah, I mean, even simple questions like, you know, should she have put her coat on today? Uh, you know, or should she, you know, there's just, it, it, it's really amazing the questions that are out there, that are just out there. Um, when you stop to think about them. So you can tie that into narration, I think, very easily. Yeah, and it's surprising how a simple question can get kids thinking and get them uh, thinking about a book in a way that's, or history or whatever, in a way that you never would have thought if you'd asked them to give you back a certain amount of information or given them a test or something. Yeah, and then they can bring that to the next time they're reading. Like They, they don't know what you're going to say at the end. You might say, um, you know, you, there are ways to jazz up narration by by asking a different question, asking them to write down something different. You know, um, tell me everything um, Robin Hood said in this chapter or, you know, yeah. tell me what you remember about the conversation of this chapter or or, it, um, you know, yes, most of your da- daily narrations might be. Um, you know, just basic narrative. But but if you have a child who's not responding to that well, there are plenty of other ways to word um, what you're looking for that, that can cause them to think about it a little bit differently. Okay, let's let's jump on to one more question, which is somewhat related to narration. We always get a lot of questions about narration, so um, I suspect that every few Q&A episodes there's always going to be at least one. But... Um, Becky asks, how can you, how can I help my young teenage girl listen and retain better and then offer a decent narration? Um, she says the rest of us are, are, are of uh, many words and communicate well, but you know, despite reading a great, despite reading and writing a great deal, she, you know, does not communicate as well. So, um, what would you say about giving advice on helping young students, you know, young teenage students listen better? And this is, you know, some people just naturally tend to, to, to listen and hear things and retain that knowledge better. Whereas, you know, other kids, maybe that's not, that's not true. I think that's true of adults as well. I don't, I'm not great at listening to something, you know, like a book being read out loud and remembering things. Um, frankly, I'm not great at reading something to myself and remembering things. I don't know if it's cause I read too fast, but it's not something that's just unique to, to, you know, Becky's daughter. Right, right. No, no. It takes discipline. Yeah. Right. And and some children are naturally more, more um, scatterbrained, I guess you could say, or more uh, distractible. Yeah, that's always other. been me. Yeah. And, and that is something that, 
is a concern because you have to decide. I, I think what is it that uh, there was another question there where the lady said her child was she found her child reading a book at the same time they were listening, listening yeah. to an audio book. Yeah. And and I thought about that for a while because I've actually found myself doing that. I I will be like feeling like I need to be doing something. I'm listening to an audio book and I won't think about it. I'll pick up a book and I'll think, no, I, I can't do this. <laughs> this does not work. I'm not like uh, George Washington that was some of those early founding fathers that could write two letters at the same time with both hands. <laughs> One, I mean, each hand writing a different letter in a different language. I still don't believe that, but um, that's what uh, – I've heard before about the um, couple of the founding fathers, uh, how crazy. brilliant they were. But I do think, isn't there like research that says you, people don't aren't really able to multitask that well? I mean, I know we all multitask a lot with our computers and our devices and um, all the ways that have come into our life that can distract us. You can potentially be reading and listening at the same time, but uh, will you be retaining from both of those? So no, I don't. I don't think that's a very good habit uh, for a child to be in. And I think it, it, it's. It, and you're right. It tells you something about the child, or like you're you're saying about yourself. And I definitely see it with myself um, that I'm not comfortable just concentrating on one thing. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm scared of that, or maybe there's a certain. Um, you know, when do you get bored? There's all this all kinds of questions about it. is it because I'm so smart that I get bored easily? I like to pretend like, oh, I'm just bored easily because, you know, I'm I'm I know where this is going and I don't want to. But but that's not really uh, the right, probably not the right way to look at that. So I'm not as far as the narration goes. I hate to keep saying this, but the first thing I would do is be shorten up the, what I'm reading or expecting mm-hmm. the child to read. Uh, I have to do this all the time with the child I'm working with. Um, um, he's a great, great student, very intelligent, but he gets distracted easily. So, so I have to make sure, you know, I want to stretch him, but I want to stretch him according to where he is at, not... Um, me just pretending to stretch him by giving him this really long reading and expecting a, a great narration out of it. Um, he's he's an excellent narrator. He will come back and, and give me a narration on something I didn't even think he was paying attention to. So we can't always judge what kids are paying attention to and what they're not. Mm, that's yeah, yeah. But it could just be that this child has not found... I'm really thinking about this because I really think it's possible that probably this child is just a late bloomer and she's taking it all in, taking it all in, taking it all in. Someday it will come out of her in a way that makes us all happy. (laughs) But in the meantime, it it can be frustrating. I would make her feel safe. I would make sure she feels okay okay with with, with what she can do. And what she's able to do, I, I would try. I would never ever try to force it out of her in a way that um, could could turn out to be a long term negative memory for the child. Um, I'm saying this out of experience. This is probably what I did with some of my kids. Um, so I, I would say tread lightly. Um, look for ways that she does perk up and blossom, and maybe maybe try to say, oh. I noticed that when we did that, she was really um, much more articulate, maybe. 
maybe, you know, I can, I can work with, with that piece of information and, and I wouldn't panic. I would just continue reading good literature to her, continue asking for some sort of narration. If I was doing written narration and she couldn't handle the writing, I, I would scale it back and expect less, you know, maybe, um, in that way. Uh, but I, I would try not to make the child feel like they were not giving me what I wanted, <laughs> you know, this kind yeah. of panicked attack on the child with which they feel. Hmm. Um, do you have any comments about context or setting in which you do narration, you know, for any ages? Like, I, I mean, which, you know, you do the readings and then you do the narrations or whatever. Um, should they like whether it's related to posture, either your posture or their posture, um, the activities they might be doing? I know you've talked about how sometimes like young kids could do a puzzle or color while they're listening. Um, what do you think about that? I mean, is there something that is there? Do you have any thoughts on what's better than others? As no, far as I, I have thought about that, I think about it a lot because I, having taught boys a lot, you know, the question is. Um, and, and it's a great, it's a great should question, you know, sh- do, or, or a debate question. Does, yeah. uh, d- does, the, uh, is the way we are dressed, uh, does it affect uh, what we're doing at, mm. at school? Mm. And I think we could come up with, with, um, uh, we had that little debate at our school uh, a couple weeks ago. And of course the child who comes to school all put together said, yes, it does affect us and we should always be put together. And we should, um, the other child said, well, I don't come to school put together and look how nice my handwriting is. <laughs> and, uh, and so it really made me think about that. You know, um, if, if a child is rolling around on the floor while he's giving you his narration, is that a problem or or not? I don't know what the answer is to that. I tend to be a person who thinks that's not a problem, but um, I, I'm I'm sure you can make the case that it is a problem. I'm sure you can make the case that we, sh- you know, it's much better to, uh, you know, come to school with all your proper clothes on and to sit properly and to think, you know, and yet is, is that how the mind really works? And is that is that what's going on during learn? Is that where learning really does take place. And I guess none of these things are just, you know, always the same for everybody. So No, and that, that's why I do think that, you know, yeah, there is the, the type A uh, oldest child student who, who, who yeah, they are going to learn best in that a- atmosphere where it feels like it should feel. Yeah. But there are other people, other kids who are going to learn um, in a much more relaxed environment. Yeah. Yeah. That's tough when you're homeschooling too, to, to, if if you're going to cultivate an environment like that for some of the kids and the other kids don't, it doesn't appeal to them. It's tricky, but I guess it's easier than going to a school where the environment's the same for everybody. Yeah. I mean, that's what happens at school. We don't, they don't even have that question because everybody does this. And, um, and I, I'm sure there's different answers to that question depending on the environment. Now, the other question about narration that comes up is uh, when you have a group of kids, then you have a little bit of competition going and and that changes the narration. And and really, Charlotte Mason was seeing that a lot more than what a lot of homeschooling parents are seeing. Now, in morning time, you could ask for a narration and that's going to have a little bit of that give and take with with all the kids in your family. But a lot of our narrations are just one-on-one. And I think that's going to be a little different. Hmm. Um, okay, let's let's do one more question here. 
um, well, we'll move on to a different topic here. We can talk about narration till you know, yeah, the cows come in or whatever they say. Um, this is one you, you mentioned type A students. This is one from a mom who admits to being type A herself. And Laura says that she is brand new to homeschooling. She is a mom of three. She's got a five-year-old, a soon-to-be three-year-old, and a six-month-old wee one. Um, and she says that they've begun implementing some Charlotte Mason principles into their family life already. She says she's very type A and I'm anxious about starting in earnest next spring. She says she's planning to begin working through the Ambleside online curriculum for herself uh, just to see what it's like to pre-read and plan ahead. Is this a moot point as some have suggested? What counsel can you offer for those who are just beginning? Where should we start? Um, she mentions they already do morning time and some of the other Charlotte Mason concepts um, in part because she found it kind of instinctual. Um, and then she adds that after stumbling upon the Charlotte Mason way, she was delighted to find that so many of Charlotte Mason's principles were merely conscious expression of the intrinsic way that her family, this, you know, this, uh, Laura's family already functions or at least strives to. So I imagine there's a lot of, uh, young moms who have little children. I know we're on this spot in my house, um, where you're beginning to think about you know, beginning formally in earnest, or at least right, some, somewhat right. formally. And for the moms who are type A, what counsel can you offer for those who are just beginning and starting and, and, and getting and a little bit anxious about what's going to be going on in, in about five months, four months? Yeah, I mean, the the biggest danger is there's just so much information out there. And so you can constantly be on the search for the perfect thing to do. And then you can add this and add this and add this. And the, the really for the type type A mom, the danger is that she's going to do too much or add too much. She's going to hear a lot of great ideas and, and they are good ideas and she's not going to know how to, to sort those out. And, and she's going to stress her family out trying to do too much. And then she's going to come back and say, Oh, I don't need to do this much. <laughs> and hopefully, hopefully um, she's going to see that um, um, that's not necessary. I mean, it is instinctual, and it and I think that's why it works so well. So I think you have to. to there is a sense that you need to look at your fam, your own family, and 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 start applying these these ideas, and um, you know, one at a time, and and add things in, add things in, and and and, and you and one thing you can do is if you add something in. And you see the child's not ready for it because that's usually what happens with the young mom. She's so, and, and me, this is what happened with me. You're so anxious to teach something that you, you start it too soon. And when you, mm. but all you have to do is when you see it's, is it working or the child's not getting it and, or it's becoming stressful to just stop and wait. Um, it, there'll be a day when you can teach that to the child and it won't be quite as stressful as it, it is early on hmm. there there is such a thing as readiness and, and when we wait for it, it, it it's so much easier than than trying to get ahead of ourselves teaching grammar to first and second grade students you know just just it's just silly we don't it, it's just not i mean we of course we can talk about grammar concepts talk and talk and talk and talk um, do the whole bible thing where you know as we walk along the way everything we teach that way is fine uh, when we start trying to uh, formalize teaching grammar at a really young age it's just really a waste of time so I would just say be careful about that. Um, and w when you when you look at all the things that um, are out there, um, be careful with that. I mean, Ambleside Online um, is is a book list. Is really a book list. You can take that and use it um, 
um, um, if you see other books that you like, you know, you can use those. You can, there are really, really wonderful books out there and, and there's wonderful, wonderful book lists and there are, there are whole, um, catalogs and ministries, uh, with book lists. Uh, it, it, sometimes it helps to go to somewhere like Ambleside and just say, look, I'm just going to stick with this because, you know, here it is. And, and I don't have to, I don't have to wade through this morass of information, but sometimes, you know, there might be, feel free. I feel like people should be able to switch books out and find out what, what's going to be really joyful for their family. So sounds like you could write a blog post quoting Hamlet saying the readiness is all. Yes. There you go. <laughs> um, all, all is readiness. So um, I think that's, a good set of questions for this for this episode. Um, do you have any final thoughts that you want to offer to people um, as they're um, closing out the school year? This is my question. Um, it's not on the I'm not on the Facebook page. Oh, okay. I, I cheated, <laughs> but I'm curious if you have any advice. I think we've talked about this before. I don't know if we have on this show though. Um, sometimes the end of the school year um, can be can feel a little bit like you're just trying to check things off a list the things that you didn't get to, or you're frustrated because you didn't get to so many of the things you planned to do. Yeah. Um, your kids are anxious to be done or they are just anxious to be outside. Um, you know, any, there's any number of issues that could come up. Um, this time of year, you've got families recovering from sicknesses and, you know, it's just all, all these mm. kind of things that can happen in, 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 you know, April. Um, got, yeah. vaca- got a vacation on the brain. Um, yeah. What what advice do you have for just closing out the year in in a, in a strong way, that, but that in a way that isn't gonna, you know, ruin ruin your children? <laughs> I always say close out the year on a really good book. I mean, end the year on one of the top ten, you know, books of all times. Like a read, I mean, like a read aloud. Yeah, yeah. You have a get a great read aloud to finish out the year and finish it out. Uh, with that book. And then, um, I, I feel like that's one way to keep it, uh, keep your, yourself motivated. I mean, I'm at that this morning. I thought that at school too, I'm starting to think about next year. Yeah. And then they, with homeschooling, the, there's nothing wrong. I, I, I actually, uh, bought, I actually bought, I'll even tell you what I bought. It was, it was, um, a, a little, I, well, I can't think of the name of it right now, so I'm not going to tell you. But um, <laughs> I, I and I'm, I was going to wait for next year to start using it, and um, it's, and I couldn't help it. I, I just started using it anyway. I was so excited about it. There's nothing wrong with, um, you know, if you start something at, at the end of one year, you just keep going at the end of the ne- and the next year because that's really what we do as homeschoolers. We have. Um, I'm trying to think of how to say this. We have the ability not to be, um, we don't have to start fresh um, in, with a new curriculum yeah, in, yeah, yeah. in August or September. We can yeah. just continue going with what we've already started. And if we look at our curriculum that way, we don't have to say, oh, it's May, I'm supposed to be done with this math program and I'm not done. I know you're just going to have to pick it up again and finish it. Um, the next year and, and yeah. just to keep going, keep going, keep going, um, and, and not worry so much about, uh, these, these, uh, it is, there is something very nice about starting the new year fresh, but I wouldn't let, um, that keep you from, 
from finishing the old year well. It, it's great. It's a great thing to finish well uh, a school year and, and to stay motivated. And, and whatever. And sometimes staying motivated at the end of the year means starting a new program or start not a whole new program, but you know, getting out a new copy book or starting a new narration notebook or, or buying. Um, the uh, book of the centuries and getting started on it and then have that kind of transition into next year. Hmm. Yeah. I guess if you're homeschooling, you don't have to be ruled by the tyranny of like the, the grade based production line. Like you don't have to, you don't have to feel like you're just passing your kids up, you know, one, one, uh, one conveyor belt to the other in a factory. You, you get a little bit more freedom than that. Yeah, why do you have to finish the book this year? Well, I mean, the, the, the curriculum, if you're using some sort of formal curriculum. I used to like to use the Classical Academic Press's Bible curriculum, but I didn't have to use it in a year's time or two years. I could take two years. I could take three years to mm-hmm. use it if I felt like it. I didn't have to finish it off in, in a certain amount of time. Yeah, we always tell people that about Lost Tools. Like, you you don't have to finish it or you could even go back and redo some stuff. Like the key is that they're, oh, yeah. that they're learning things more than that they're, you know, getting through things. Do you, do you have, um, what would you say about summer vacation? Do you think that people should, um, I mean, this is, I don't want you to judge, tell me, I'll tell other people how to do it, but what do you think of the traditional summer break? Do you think that it's good to take, you know, you know, half of May, June, July, August, start up again after Labor Day type thing? Or, or do you think that, um, doing, did you, did you do something different where you maybe did more school during the summer than the traditional, the traditional approach? Well, I mean, if you really, I think it's, it's a tough question. If you can, if you can find a way to not have a traditional summer break, it's it's very very hard to go against the grain. I, I that's what I found in my family on the years yeah, when I thought, yeah. well, we're really really far behind. We'll just go all summer. Well, that that was usually a false hope. And then there were people who said to me, you know what, just take the summer off and enjoy the summer. And I think there's there's you you're still learning. You're you're still learning, but it does. There is something really wonderful about stopping, yeah, and and refreshing your brain, rebooting. The kids are still learning. Yeah. And they're still processing all the things that they learned through, through the year. So there, it's really not um, a waste of time to waste some time. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, it, there's more to, you know, I think sometimes we get into the trap that learning, you know, we value schooling so much. Yeah. Like academics so much um, that sometimes we forget that you know, they can learn a lot more than just schooling. And by being outside and by reading, you know, to themselves or being read to and um being in various social situations and spending time with family and all those kind of things that they're learning things that are just as important as, you know, algebra or spelling, you know, absolutely. Um, in, in some Ab- ways they're more important and, and they're oftentimes more voluntary. And so they stick more. Yeah. And, and then the, the brain is working. So when you go back to school, the things that maybe were a struggle the, the one year might not be so much of a struggle because the brain has had a chance to rest and process and, and maybe find the right place for that piece of information that was, you know, in the wrong place. I don't know. Well, I think <laughs> it's not a very scientific. Thing. <laughs> well, it's kind of like memory, right? Like if you are trying to memorize a chapter in the Bible or a poem or um, you're studying for a test or you're reading a book and you do a little review and then you go to sleep, oftentimes you know, if you get the proper amount of sleep and you studied properly, when you wake up, you'll remember a lot more than if you just, you know, crammed, 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 and then oh, right, went and took right. the test. So sleep 
it does wonders for the memory. And sometimes things they may not seem like they're learning when they come back a month later or two months later or whatever. There's something's been worked. It's been tossed around in their brain enough, even when you don't know it. You don't know what they're thinking about. You don't know what's going through their brain waves um, when they're just by themselves or you know lying in bed or when they're reading books you just you can't account for what you don't know (laughs) right exactly so I, i just say take a break everybody should probably take some break i mean some people are more successful with you know figuring out the year differently and i don't i don't have a problem with that but if you want permission to take a summer break you i'll I'll give everyone permission. (laughs) take a summer break go to the pool (laughs) just make sure you're reading while you do it right yes bring a a good book that's a given. Yeah. I mean, yeah. really, it goes it's without summer... saying. Well, the break is for mom to read. Now, mom can read oh, you know, yeah, the, yeah. some adult <laughs> books, not just you know, not just read aloud. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, um, thank you for answering some questions. Thanks to everyone who sent in questions. If you want to send in a question that can get answered on a future episode, remember you can do so by going to the Facebook group and leaving a comment under the pinned post there. It's it's I it's my post, so it's under my name. Um, and you can put a comment there and we'll read it on a future show. And if you are not on Facebook, then feel free to email Cindy or I. I'm at David at CerseInstitute.com and Cindy is at Cindy at dash or Cindy at Ordo dash Amoris dot com that's correct right i get that's that right correct yeah once i corrected and myself actually, yes yes that that ordo dash remorse that was good you corrected yourself <laughs> um do you have any final thoughts before we uh before we hit the road no i just hope everyone is you know enjoying enjoying the nice weather i don't know if everybody's having nice weather but i hope they're all enjoying it hopefully everyone's getting at least pockets of nice weather to to spend outside yeah our baseball games i just got a text they're canceled for the day so we we have a lot of rain so i'm sad Mm. about that Mm. yeah some some people are dying for rain i'm guessing (laughs) yeah yeah well florida i think yeah yeah um well uh Speaking of Florida, I wanted to say before we go that, you know, you're going to be down in Orlando for our regional conference, you and Angelina Stanford and John Hodges and uh, Kevin Clark and Ravi Jain and my dad and Brian Phillips and Matt Bianco that we're putting on a regional conference down there. It's going to be a really good event talking about the Severan Liberal Arts and the Quadrivium and all that kind of stuff. And we would love to have, um, you know, y'all, you know, those who are listening, come join us. If you are in the area, um, you know, come down, spend some time with us. If you uh, want to get a discount, we have a $25 discount on the registration for that for Mere Motherhood listeners from, for, you know, Mason Jar listeners, I guess, and Mere Motherhood group members. Um, so you, you just enter the code Mere Motherhood at checkout. When you register, you can save uh, an additional $25 on registration for that. Uh, I was so excited to see John Hodges is going to be there. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is going to be great. Yeah. Um, no, he, he's always so wonderful. Yeah. And we're going to do um, that Friday evening. We're going to do an evening portion of the event where we have a panel on the quadrivium with all the members. And he's going to give a keynote that leads out that evening. So we're going to have a nice dessert you know, a dessert, passed around desserts and some things like that to, to go with that. So um, people will get a chance to kind of clear their headspace, go get some dinner and then come back for dessert and then an evening portion uh, kind of headed, spearheaded by John. So oh, that's, fun. That would be nice. Yeah, I think it's going to be a nice time. So there's still space. Um, so like I said, the code is Mere Motherhood at checkout if you want to save extra 25 bucks and come join us. Um, we would love to, to meet some of you face to face, you know, other than just on Facebook. So Yeah, yeah, that'd be fun. 
All right, well, for Cindy Rollins and for all of us here at Cersei, I am David Curran saying farewell on the Cersei Institute Podcast Network. Thanks so much for listening to The Mason Jar. We will talk to you next time. Thank you.